Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. So I know some of you find it lightly amusing when I tell personal anecdotes. Some of you wish that I would just get on with it already. But today I felt like I needed to do not a big one, just a short little ditty here at the front end. Provided Windows Update hasn't completely fried my computer. So I, I badly wanted to do today's show on YouTube. That's the, that's the first thing. I want to start this little anecdote with that. Because today I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept of handicapping fantasy for games played. Because there's actually a lot of disagreement on it. And I think... Everybody has certain parts of their argument that are right, and everybody has some parts that are probably a little bit too kind of dug in. Uh, and I, I thought we could get YouTube fired up. I have some, not graphics, because I don't have the technology over here. But, you know, throw some stuff up on the screen about the different players we're talking about, just an easier way to visualize it. And you guys know I mentioned on the show yesterday that our youngest, our youngest, our younger there are only two of them. There's an oldest and a youngest. The younger of our children was home yesterday with a low-grade fever. He woke up fine today, so he went to school. Uh, seemed All seemed normal. And then I got a call like 20 minutes ago from the school saying, you guys enjoy this little story. Um, Dan, Theodore's fine. I'm like, okay, that's good. Uh, he's, he's bouncing around. He's telling everybody he loves them. That sounds adorable. But something was weird with his poop. Like, oh my God, here we go. So apparently that was like the warning shot. And if there's another one, then I got to just stop doing the podcast and race down there and bring him home. And I don't know, I guess that's the rule there. So today we are recorded only because of my younger son's bowel movements. And I follow that by saying, welcome to the show, everyone. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Dan's Youngest Son's Poop Edition. I'm Dan Vespers. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. We're still going to talk about handicapping for durability because I think the nomenclature itself is screwed up in a way that makes it so that this discussion becomes more heated than it needs to be. So many people have do not draft lists and things like that, and I understand it. Certainly on the head-to-head side, you have to be a bit more risk-averse than on the Roto Games Cap side, where you can, again, we talked about a thousand times, you can get away with kind of filling in the gaps in your Roto Games played in a way that on the head-to-head side, you simply can't. If a guy misses a game, you're just not going to get points that day from that guy. And you can't, it's not like you can make that up later in the week in your weekly head-to-head matchup. You're just now behind the eight ball by one game. But outside of just a couple, really, in in my estimation, just a few kind of fringe guys, not fringe because they're not fantasy relevant, fringe because they're on the fringes at the very top end and at the very bottom end, we're not actually handicapping for durability. Those guys, if you wanted to put them in a, a bucket together, are guys like Danilo Gallinari. For many years, because you knew that every time that dude turned an ankle, it was two weeks. You're never back from an ankle sprain in one game. It was always five to six. 
And those things happen. Guys have bumps and bruises. Every single player in the NBA has bumps and bruises over the course of a season. Generally, the difference in a guy like a Gallo, who, and I don't mean to pick on him because I know he's out this entire season with a like truly legitimate injury. He's just an example. Guys like that are going to play fewer games because they miss two weeks where someone like a Trey Young, who, you know, as much as I didn't like his fantasy game this year, and he was someone that I faded on a per-game basis because of DeJounte Murray coming to town, Trey Young plays through that stuff. He tweaks an ankle. He's out there two games later. Gallo tweaked an ankle. He's out there six games later. That makes a really big difference because maybe this is a little bit of a blanket statement, but I I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb in saying that like 98% of the players in the NBA suffer some sort of tweak or bruise or whatever over the course of a season, and probably like 95% of them suffer multiple of that. And so then it comes down to, okay, well, do they miss zero games for these types of things? One, two, five, six. That's what separates certain players from others if you're just handicapping for durability. But again, most of these guys are in, and we talked about a scatter plot on yesterday's show with relation to kind of how how well the ADP numbers uh, cluster around the reality, the final results of a season. This is also a little bit of a scatter plot. Most of the players, maybe it's more of a bell curve, are going to find themselves in the middle of the bell or near it. Someone like a, say, DeJounte Murray, who played 74 games this year. Trey Young, we talked about, played 73. Those guys probably missed, like, call it two to three games for things that maybe cost someone like a, say, Jalen Brown, more like four, four and a half games per little bruise. It's basically if you're saying every little bruise, let's say everybody gets three of them. Every Everybody gets three ankle tweaks over the course of a season. Do you miss three games, six games, nine games, 12 games, 15, whatever? That's most of the guys are going to be in that zero to four range. Heavy, heavy majority of them in the zero to five, if you want to extend it to that. And then there's the, the couple of guys that are out on the rims. The zeros in that department are on one rim. And then the like six plus guys are out on the other rim. But those are very much the tails of this curve. This year, who are, who are the guys that had, you know, like five or six small things over the course of a season? Or three, what did we say, three things over the course of a season and knocked them out for 15 or more games? There, aren't just, there just aren't that many of those guys. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. 
Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. So then, what I think we really need to do in this discussion is change the way we're talking about it. We're not really handicapping for durability a little bit a little bit of handicapping for durability if someone's like hey do you think it's gonna play more games between these two guys but here's the thing what we're actually doing is handicapping for expected or if you want to call target games played i know that it's uh semantic and we'll do a little do a little rhyme in here on the podcast we're getting into semantics because i'm pedantic but I actually think that this matters because there is so much discussion. Okay, you, on one side, it's like, okay, uh, I, I've, heard, I've heard many folks in our industry say that they can handicap for games played. And to that, I say, okay, yeah, but. And then I've heard many folks say, you can't do it at all. And I say, okay, yeah, but. The reality falls somewhere in the middle. The best you can do is to look at a player understand as well as humanly possible what they're actually trying to accomplish in a given season and handicap from there. What do we always try to do on this podcast? Simplify fantasy basketball. Simplify the game. So here's the general equation. It's not math. This is going to be this is going to be a qualitative analysis. Here's the qualitative equation that I want you to have in your dome as you're starting to take a look, as you're starting to work towards next year and figure out how many games do you individually, not even we at this point, because you guys can take my word for it, but you might disagree with me in some small capacity. How many games do you think a particular player is going to get into in a given year? With, uh, once again, the caveat that This is going to be the world's simplest, scaled down to the nubs, how to get a feel for it. First thing is, you decide whether or not a player is a 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 plus games missed kind of guy for small nagging injuries. Are we talking about Anthony Davis, who's... More so in the three to six range. Are we talking about Jason Tatum, who's in the zero to two range? Okay, that's phase one. But phase two, which I believe is actually even the the more important part, and frankly, the part that I think you can be a little bit more certain of in general. What is that target number of games played? The most obvious example of this is someone like a Kawhi Leonard, because you can very quickly. Look at the Clippers' schedule and say, there is almost no chance this dude plays in more than about one back-to-back this season. He did play in one back-to-back down the stretch in one of the dumbest uh, load non-management situations that I think I've ever seen in my life. They played him in a half of the first game, lost it, played him in the entire second game, and they lost that one too, if I'm not mistaken. Instead of just playing him for one full ball game and getting a win under their belt. I mean, anyway, doesn't matter. Point is, you knew going into this year that Kawhi Leonard was going to miss. I don't remember what the number is for the Clippers. It was like 13, 14 back-to-backs. 
So in a best-case scenario, Kawhi Leonard was only getting to 67, 68 ballgames. That's if he basically played his entire season. That's like if Jason Tatum played in 82. Right? That's the way you have to think about it. Jason Tatum went into this season, or Demonis Sabonis, another example. These guys went into this season with the goal Vooch played in all 82 games. The Bulls, they're, I mean, you have to look at the player and the team to know this for certain. You know, if you're looking at a team, maybe the Jason Tatum target wasn't 82, actually. That's probably a bad example because I think they did give him a couple of, they didn't call it rest days, but they did call him rest days. They gave him like five or six games off this year because they knew they were going to be near the top of the Eastern Conference. They didn't have to be as concerned about it. But what about the teams that knew they were going to be toiling in the, lower half of the playoff race, or fighting for a play-in spot, most of the players on those teams came into this year looking for 82. It's a best-case scenario. It very rarely happens outside of what? What do we have? Two, three guys of a fantasy relevance that actually played in every ballgame? Vooch, Mikhail Bridges, who played in 83. <laughs> Buddy Heald was going to do it, and then he got that bad illness. And then there's, you know... It's a smattering of guys as you work your way down the board. Like, Derek White played in all 82. That one was hard to see coming. Okongwu on Atlanta got into 80. Franz Wagner, Emmanuel Quickly. You know, thing is, you don't know who's actually going to get there. All you can do is look at a, a series of names and say, is this person trying to get there? And the best place to start with something like this is right at the top. Oh, I should have pulled up ADPs before I started talking about this thing. But uh, here, let's go to let's go to the draft results from what I think is one of my more competitive leagues. Nikola Jokic went first overall. We knew coming into this year that his target was not going to be 82 because Denver was getting their other guys back. They knew they were going to be in decent playoff position. I don't think they knew they were going to be the one seed in the West, but I don't think that they were hyper-concerned with being the one seed. It just sort of worked out that way. But they very much gave Jokic a few games off here and there. Absolutely. So Jokic came into this season with a lowered, a diminished target, probably more like 76 instead of 82 was your best-case scenario. And then you work in the fact that Jokic is a guy who doesn't miss more than one or two games with the little nagging stuff. And so you could put your target games played for him in the low 70s. He didn't quite get there. He got to 69, but he still did fine in that regard. Next name that went off the board in this league was Giannis. Someone appeared to be on their way to a punt build. I didn't like this call because we've now seen for a couple of seasons that the Bucks really have no intention of playing their key guys more than about 68 ball games per season. Where did Giannis end this year? 63. Last year, 67 out of 82. Previous year, 61 out of 72. That was their championship season, right? Get my years correct. Once you win the championship, your target number of games played drops pretty precipitously. And so if you're taking Giannis early, there's this, there's this harebrained notion that he's like super hyper mega durable, and he is pretty damn durable, but the team doesn't care about that anymore. So even if he feels like he's ready to go. They're not going to deploy him that way. They're not going to let his minutes creep back up into the 35-36 range. I don't care that they just got beaten the first round of the playoffs. They got there the way they wanted to. 
They had the best record in basketball. There's no reason for them to change what they did in the regular season because they had their guys in the first round of the playoffs. Even Middleton was upright, and then they just got embarrassed, frankly, by the Heat. But forgetting about that for a moment, Giannis's target number, if, if we wanted to say Jokic was 76, he still hasn't won a championship. They want to make sure he's healthy, but they also want to give him the best chance to get to that title game. So there was a, a little bit more uh, seeding stuff on the mind. For Giannis, we've seen now, after the title run, his target has been to miss basically the back-to-backs. Not that that's when they've been resting him, but that's uh, roughly what their target's been. So best case scenario for Giannis, let's just let's think liberally here and say uh, 72 was a best case scenario, and they're going to be sort of gentle kid glove if he has little nagging injuries, call it two to three games off for peace. So the target for him was probably like 66 to 68 in that regard. 66 was probably the expected number. He got to 63. So these numbers are never going to be perfect, but they're generally going to be in the vicinity if someone doesn't have a big injury. That's where things get thrown off, and then you can try to guess who's going to have the big injury, but also almost everybody seemed to have one this year. Like, okay, Anthony Davis, you know he's a massive injury risk. That He's one of the outliers at the wrong end of this spectrum. AD is extremely fragile, and the Lakers know they have zero shot to do anything in a postseason if he's not healthy, which you're seeing right now. I mean, he's, he's far and away the best player on the Lakers, and he's been the best player on the court in every game uh, that he's been basically healthy enough to go and even the ones where he didn't score very much he was the most important player for that team uh yes more than lebron and so you work your way down the board here um you're gonna have misses you know uh again the big injuries are the ones that kind of screw things up like kd playing 47 games because of missing two months with the mcl thing and you could say dan he's older these things happen yeah but i mean you know they don't always happen we saw Chris Paul prior to this year play basically every single ball game, and he's one of the oldest dudes in the NBA, older than Durant. Steph missed a bunch of time this year. Dame missed some time and then got shut down. So this is an imperfect method, as I was saying. We're just trying to simplify. It's not going to get all of it right. But you can set yourself up in a particular way. Looking at who's an example of another one that sort of like looking at two different directions. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I think a lot of us, most of us, figured the Thunder were going to tank one more year when Holmgren got ruled out for the season right before the year started. So right off the bat, you set Shea's max game played as basically missing like two to three weeks of just not playing basketball. That's somewhere between 10 and 12 ball games. So max for Shea was basically 70 games this year was the way you went into this thing. Then, um, unbelievably, they didn't tank. He did have some injuries this year, and he ended at 68. That's one where you got it closer to right for the wrong reasons. But that's okay. This is where having that sort of two-pronged qualitative breakdown can actually be somewhat useful. I know it seems sort of idiotic to say that we got it right for the wrong reasons and that's okay but here's the thing 
Like, Shea is, if they're tanking, you give him a bunch of games off for little nagging injuries, and then there's like a two-week shutdown, and so that's why you figure, okay, like, there's no way he plays more than 70 ball games this year. Uh, and this season, he didn't have that many little bumps and bruises, and so he landed around that same number. Because sometimes you're going to get these, not everybody's going to have exactly three minor injuries every season, but you just hope that this starting point gets you in the vicinity. Tyrese Halliburton. I was afraid of an Indiana shutdown. It did ultimately happen. He also had a medium-sized injury this year that cost him what it was. It was about three weeks of basketball in there, three and a half, something like that. So not only did he have a dozen games missed for that big injury, but he also had another you know, eight to ten missed for shutdown, and that dropped him by about 20 games, and then if any little thing cropped up after that, even if he healed quickly, you're still talking about another four or five games missed, and then he ended at 56. So that was a situation where pretty much everything went wrong. If you had them in shutdown mode, you probably had Halliburton in the mid to high 60s in games played, and he undershot that by a lot. But you did, at the very least, give yourself a chance to say, okay, is this a risk I want to take? Now, here's the problem with this method. There aren't that many guys left drafted in the first two rounds that are actually trying to play in all 82 ball games. <laughs> it sucks, but it's the truth. Here, let me just read off the first two rounds of this uh, relatively competitive draft, and then we'll try to point at the guys that were actually trying to play in 82 games. Jokic, Giannis, I mentioned the first two, Embiid, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Tyrese Halliburton, James Harden, Trey Young, Cat, Booker, Dame, Lamelo, DeJounte Murray, AD, Paul George, Kyrie Irving, John Morant, Anthony Edwards, Bam Adebayo, LeBron, Demonis Sabonis, Rudy Gobert. Of those 24 names, how many of those players went into this season with the goal of playing in 82 ballgames? Jokic, no. Giannis, no. Embiid, no. Luka, maybe. But... Like, he's an obvious one for gonna get hurt at some point because he, like, you just can't have the usage he has every game forever and then not miss basketball games. Steph, no. Tatum, I'm gonna say no, although at least his number was probably somewhat on the high side. KD, no. Halliburton, no. Harden, no. Trey Young, yes. He probably went into this season trying to play in 82. I think that's the first one that you can confidently say, yeah, he was going to try to do it. Cat? I actually honestly have no idea with Cat. I think maybe he learned his lesson, the Tibbs lesson. You can't play every single game or you're going to break down for two years. But fine, if you want to say yes, that's fine. Booker? No. Dame? No. Lamelo, Maybe? He ended up hurt a bunch, but was he going to try to play an 82? Yeah, probably. DeJounte Murray? Yeah. AD? No. Paul George? No. Kyrie? No. Ja? No, I'm going to say no, because the Grizzlies are going to have a decent record in the regular season. Edwards, yes. Anthony Edwards, there you go. You got another one. Bam Adebayo, used to be yes, not anymore. LeBron, no. Sabonis, yes. Gobert, I don't know. So what was that? That was Trey, Cat, LaMelo, DeJounte, Anthony Edwards, Sabonis? Six out of 24? A quarter of these players are actually 
trying to get to all 82 games, that makes it really hard to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to draft anybody who's not hyper durable because you've just taken 75% of the first two rounds off your board. And sorry, if the guys, those remaining six are not out there when your turn comes up, uh, what are you going to do? Take a take somebody from like the mid-30s? I have more thoughts on this. We'll save it for another show. Uh, this is maybe as a two-parter in what I like to call handicapping for the 10th category. Because there is more that goes into it, but I think this is kind of a nice, relaxing, chill starting point for how I personally go into draft season. You're like, Dan, but you really liked Kevin Durant this year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When 75% of the guys aren't trying to get to 82 ball games, it, it makes it so that you can pick from those 75%. You don't have to eliminate them. If it was the other way around, and like 18 of the 24 guys in the first two rounds were trying to get to 82 games or really close to it, sure, maybe you could just wipe out the six guys that aren't and choose from 18. But in this case, I think it works the other way. You can either say, okay, well, I'm only taking Trey Young or uh, Anthony Edwards or whatever. But also you saw what happened with LaMelo Ball. He actually had a bunch of injuries. It doesn't always work, even when you pick from the guys who probably are trying to get to 82 games. This is why, by the way, it becomes extraordinarily difficult to say, okay, I can definitely handicap for games played. You can do your best to handicap for games played, but there's just so much that's left up to chance. So the best we can do, and we'll dive in farther, the best we can do for today, phase one here of simplifying handicapping for expected games played is what are they actually trying to get to and how many games do they miss for small nagging injuries so kind of fuzzy math it a little bit and that's how you get to your starting point we will move forward from there the next time we talk about this meantime we do need to talk a tiny bit about the nba playoffs the boston celtics bounced back yesterday as i mentioned on the pod i didn't know if Embiid was going to play it sounded like he was when he was ruled in, the number came down uh, from 8.5 to 7.5, so it was already kind of expected that he was going to be in there. Boston covered by a ton. What I think I said on the show was that if Embiid comes back, I would look at the under because I thought Boston had a wake-up call in Game 1. They were not going to take the Sixers lightly on the defensive side. That was something where they just they let it get away. The effort battle was going to be better for Boston, and then sure enough, they they did all of those things. Turned the ball over less, rebounded better, defended better, and Embiid was, you know, for his five blocks on defense was nice, but he was super out of rhythm and disjointed on the offensive side. So that's why I liked the under if he played. If he didn't play, it was a game I was going to stay away from altogether. Uh, he played, and the under hit. And uh, as I've said before, if you get to a double-digit line, that's where you look at something else. Meanwhile, the Warriors just keep getting bet on right now. That one ended, opened at 5. It's all the way up to 7. Total hasn't moved at all from 227. Uh, so everybody thinks the Warriors are going to do the same thing that the Celtics did, and it's quite conceivable that they do. The reason I think they might is that the Lakers kind of... I'm trying to think of a non-dirty uh, way to say that they... Uh, <clears throat> kind of used up all their strength in game one. You guys know what expression I almost said. Playing AD the entire second half, what did he end up with, like 44, 45 minutes in that ball game? It was a lot. <laughs> it was many. The minutes were plentiful 
for Anthony Davis. 43, yeah, 44 minutes for AD in that one. LeBron played 40. Um, it felt a little bit like that was the, we got to go get this one game. And then this might be a little bit of a recovery night for the Lakers, which seems sort of stupid, but it, it actually makes sense from a couple of standpoints where the Lakers can see what the Warriors' adjustments are going to be. Maybe in a game they don't feel like they're going to win because they know the Warriors are going to be super desperate the, to get the series even. Warriors, I know they went down 0-2 in the last one, but those were on the road. This would be at home going down 0-2. So you're going to see this uh, insane effort game from Golden State, I would think, here in Game 2. And then for the Lakers, if they're a little bit gassed, this is an opportunity to kind of go through the motions a tiny bit see what the dubs are going to try to do, make their own adjustments for game three, and then ramp it back up. So normally I would say I like the Lakers because from a matchup standpoint, I actually think the Lakers pose a really big problem for the Warriors in a way that I thought the Kings did before De'Aaron Fox got hurt from a speed standpoint. But because the Kings weren't as good defensively, there was never, like, the, I don't think the Warriors ever felt like they were completely out of that series because at any moment, they could just wake up on offense and the Kings wouldn't really be able to stop them. Um, this one's a little bit different. I think the Lakers are a tougher matchup, but the question is, how much are they going to invest here in Game 2? And we saw it in Memphis. Lakers won Game 1 in Memphis, and then were not super invested in Game 2. And that one, Jaw wasn't even in there. So I understand why the line is going the way it is. Getting 7 with LA is a lot, though. Um... I'm not, I don't like the Warriors here. Uh, I think they're, it's hard to know. Like, did the first round kind of wake up call the Lakers after they kind of half butted it in game two and game five in game one or series one? Or is that just kind of who the Lakers are now? And that to me makes this one a really hard game to bet. Um, I think there's a reasonable chance that it's a little bit slower. Because um, I think you'll see the Warriors make some adjustments to slow down the Lakers on the interior. I think the Warriors might not shoot as well from three here in game two. So I would look at the under. If there's anything I'm looking at in today's game, it would be the under by a little bit. Uh, but probably just going to sit back and watch it and hopefully enjoy myself. But also at the same time, uh, not super confident that I'm going to enjoy myself. Certainly not the way that I went out there on whatever it was, Monday or Tuesday show, and said, I think I like the Lakers' money line here in Game 1. I think this is a spot where if you are a big hedging sort, you could probably get plus money price on the series on both sides, but um, also, you could do nothing. That's an option, too. So, slightly to the under, not much on the side. Lakers-Warriors, 6 o'clock Pacific time tonight, a little bit earlier here, uh, so the East Coasters might be able to catch the tail end of the ball game. heaven forbid. And my, my kids might be able to watch the end of it here, actually. Kind of amazing stuff. Well, no call from preschool while we were on air the last half hour. That's something. Made it. Man, I hope I can do a YouTube show tomorrow. If I can, uh, we will probably do a Wizards breakdown. Although it's possible we might also do the uh, first wave of the How Did the ADP Shows Do. Or maybe we do the second half of this show. I got all sorts of options. I feel like Will Ferrell's character describing what his day in the married life will be. I don't know. I'm trying to maybe go to Bed Bath & Beyond, but I don't know if there will be time. Luckily for us, we do have a lot of time. Off-season show uh, 
19? In the books. I'm Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today, and I do want to take a moment here at the tail end of today's show to congratulate the amazing, the marvelous, the wonderful Keith Cork, who was promoted to the content director seat at Sports Ethos to usher in a new era of ethosing. Keith has terrific ideas. I've seen many of them already. He is going to be putting his nose to the grindstone in a way that I don't think this side has ever seen before. Uh, so welcome, Keith. We're going to get him on the podcast here in the not-too-distant future. Again, apparently once my child stops having weird poops at preschool, uh, we'll talk to Keith. We'll congratulate him, and he can uh, talk to us a little bit about what he sees for the future at the website. That should be a lot of fun, actually. Congrats, Keith. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, at EthosKeith. That's an easier one. Ethos Keith. I am Dan Bespris. This was Fantasy NBA Today. Poop free since 1983. Since 2023. All right, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great uh, Thursday, whatever the hell day it is. Later for now.